Hey, happy Sunday evening to you guys. My name is Cody Wason. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am, I think I say this every time, I'm so excited for tonight. It's going to be so good. Um, if uh, these last couple weeks, we've been, actually for a little while now, we've been in a series called We the Kingdom, talking about what it means to be a part of the kingdom, uh, to be kingdom people. Uh, and I had a heart for you guys to get to know some of our staff, and that heart, uh, you, that'll continue. Over the last couple of weeks, you've got to hear from our worship pastor, Nolan Gilmore, uh, and our college pastor, Chris Jarrock. Um But you've got me for a couple of weeks. Well, actually, you've got me uh, to, tonight. Next week, we have a, a special guest coming in from Antioch, Waco. Amazing guy you guys are going to love. And then you have me for several weeks. Um, and, and that's where we're going. Uh, before I jump into tonight, uh, a couple announcements I want to make to really draw your attention to. Um, tonight's the last night to, to register to sign up for. We have an event called This is Antioch. This is Antioch. is happening tomorrow night. It's free. We're going to feed you dinner. We're going to take care of your kids. And we're going to share a meal and just talk about what makes Antioch Antioch. What are our core values? What are we all about? How did we start? How did God call us here to Salt Lake City? And what do we feel like he's doing in our midst? And we're also a part of an international movement of churches. The Antioch uh, movement has over 30 churches in the U.S. and 40 works around the world. What does it mean to be a part of the Antioch family? You'll get to hear a little bit about that. Uh, so I would highly encourage, if you've been a part of our family for years now, but you've never uh, really fully un, uh, you know, dove into what, what do we believe, what are we all about, what's our core values, uh, you're invited. I would encourage you to check it out. If tonight's your first night and you just want to learn more, I'd encourage you to check it out. If you just want some good Mexican food, I'd encourage you to check it out. I, heads raised when I said that. Um, so, um, but we need you to register tonight. You can go to AntiochSLC.com backslash this. And uh, there's a little button at the bottom, register. We just need a head count. Would love to see you there. Also, this week, we're super excited. Thursday night, we're having our first ever Nations Night. If you've been with us for a while, we've talked about as kingdom people, we are go people. We are called to go to the nations, and that includes the nation of Salt Lake City. And so we're going to talk about re-envisioning ourselves for the nations and then talk about specifically how we can get involved this summer. We've got at least three trips going overseas that you guys are invited to, to participate in. We've also got, there'll be a, a way for you to sign up of how you can get more engaged with loving and serving and, and reaching Salt Lake City. So would highly encourage if you have, A, if you have any desire at all on a scale of, of zero to a hundred, if you're a one on the interest level of going to the nations, you should come to nations night. And uh, if you have any desire to learn more about what, is it, what, are, what are we working towards of how to love Salt Lake and engage Salt Lake with the gospel, I would encourage you to come. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have childcare, so if you're a family in the room and, and you're interested, would love for you to be able to send maybe one of the parents to come check it out, uh, and we just couldn't uh, swing childcare that night. All right, you're with me? This is Antioch tomorrow night and uh, Nations Night on Thursday. Well, I said this before the four. I don't want to use hyperbole, but I, I think God, I, I haven't been preaching very long in my life, um, but this message tonight, I think, is one that I'm, I've been most excited about as I've been preparing. I just think God's got something on it for us, and I think if we can catch it, I, I honestly, I think our lives will look a lot differently. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. I don't want to do the big reveal. It's a little ironic coming off of announcing two uh, events this week, but I want to start off by talking about the simple reality of how busy we are. 
I mean, we're busy. I look around, college students, now college students, you're busy, but you're not as busy as you're going to be. Enjoy college. Enjoy college. I, I bless you. I honor you. I place value on you, but you are not as busy as you think you are, except for those few that actually are. Um, I remember when I thought I was busy, and then, and then a guy was, that was discipling, he was like, when's your first class? I was like, 10. And he just was like, oh, come on. 10, that's your first class? You think you're busy? You don't have to be anywhere till 10? Cool. Okay, that's not what the message is about. <laughs> um, we're busy. We're busy people. I look around the room. I know a lot of you. I know, you're, I know the, the flow of your life, your job. If you have kids, I know what demands our attention. And, and not just being by nature of being alive in 2019, but there's something about how busy we are in America. I was thinking about my international travel. I was blessed to be able to start when I was 15, and I went to New Zealand, and that eventually took me to Asia and Europe and Africa and all over the world. And there's a common theme amongst the nations, uh, well, there's a couple, we won't go into all of them, about our reputation as Americans. And one of them has always been how busy we are. We don't know how to rest. We don't know how to, what to do with ourselves if we're not busy. That's why there's the term busy work. That's the why at, in your job, you can sit at your office and just work for hours, not really being productive, but you feel like you are because you, you're just doing something. You just, we, we just don't know. Somewhere along the line, we, uh, we, we bought into this idea that activity equals productivity. That activity, that just being busy, if we just busy ourselves enough, we'll move forward, whether that in our job or in our relationship. And I think somewhere along the line, it came into the church. And we've convinced ourselves if we can just stay busy doing good things, but if we can just stay busy, we'll, we'll, we'll mature in our relationship with God. The kingdom will be moved forward. And I'm here to tell you tonight, borrowing the line from one of my dear friends, Trey Green, um, activity does not move the kingdom forward. Obedience does. And your life in God does not move forward by just busying yourselves with activities. Obedience moves your life in God forward. So tonight, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be obedient? Why should we be obedient? What does obedience mean in the kingdom? How would we define it? Obedience, think about like in your life, we're all kids. Uh, we're all kids. It doesn't matter how old we are. We, we had parents or we had authorities at some point. Obe uh, being obedient is putting action to what someone is telling us to do. It's, it's putting actions to our convictions. It's not just randomly doing things. It's doing what we feel like we've been told to do. That's what obedience is, putting action to our convictions. And here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to preface the rest of my message with this. I think God's, I just feel, and I, I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to emotionally set you up for something. I just, I'm going to go for it tonight, and I, and I just pray right now. There's grace for everyone, and I pray that we're convicted and that we're not condemned. So if any point in my message tonight, if you're feeling condemned, remember Romans 8. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Let conviction come. If the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, saying there's some things that need to happen, press into that. But if it's a heaviness that, that condemns you and brings shame, we reject that. Amen? Okay. That was just like a disclaimer, so now I can just go for it. Here's the deal. I, I grew up in the church, spent my first... My, from 4 until 19, church every week. And I was bored out of my mind. 
and I, I didn't want to go. I, I wasn't having a thriving, growing relationship with Jesus. And I would hear people talk about the adventure of following Jesus. And if I'm honest, I just got to a point where I thought they had, convi- they had lied to themselves enough. That they were making it up. If you, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this idea that living with Jesus, that following Jesus should be the, the biggest adventure you can go on in your life. But if we look, went around the room, I wonder how many of us would say that's true today. That you are coming alive, that you find joy, that you are on the adventure of a lifetime. This relationship with Jesus is an adventure and it's, it's everything. I, I don't know that we're there. Here's, and here's my contention. I think people like me, maybe some people like you, maybe people in our city, I think people have grown tired of church because the church has grown tired of obedience. We grew tired at some place, at some point of teaching and and, and showing and modeling an obedient life to Jesus. Somewhere along the line, we grew tired of it, and what we are left is you take obey out of the Christian walk. What are you left with? Hear, be hearers and doers of the word. Be hearers and obey the word. If you take obey out, the Christian walk becomes just hear some good sermons. And we get, a church, we get churches that are full of people that have listened to amazing verses that have stood face to face in encounters with Jesus, but their life didn't change. They're not living the adventure. They're not, their life doesn't reflect it. And you have to ask yourself why. I think we get a little window into it in Luke chapter 18. I'll preface the story. It's a famous story. It's um, the rich young ruler. So the story goes, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and basically says, what must I do to follow you? And here's Jesus' response, Luke 18. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he being the rich young ruler, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I heard Francis Chan say once that a lot of churches in America are full of people that are walking away sad. They're they're, they're face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Jesus gives him a place to obey, and he leaves sad. Now, the rest of that story goes on, and, and Jesus teaches his disciples. They ask some questions because they never understood what was happening. And um, we never hear about the rich young ruler again in that little story. So it surmises to say he, he left. He left sad. So I, I want to, before we keep, as, I, as we keep kind of slowly going in here, why was he sad? He was sad because being obedient to Jesus was going to cost him something. Can I just say, obedience is hard. Those of you that have kids know. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story in a minute. Obedience is hard. Teaching your kids to obey is hard, but in your own life, obedience is hard. But where, when did the lie come into the church that we are called to take the easy route? When did we start believing that the path of least resistance is the biblical path? It's not. We don't see it in Scripture. We have to stop trying to avoid hard things and start saying, if it's Jesus, I'm in. 
and it's hard, and it's going to cost me something. The rich young ruler left sad. He wasn't willing to give up his money, his wealth, his life, what he was accustomed to. He wasn't ready to give it up for Jesus, and he left sad. He didn't obey. Obedience is hard. That's the name of the sermon, if, there, if it wasn't called We the Kingdom. And here's what I think. He left sad because he wasn't convinced that what Jesus was offering was worth more than what he already had. Are we convinced? Are we convinced that, 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 that obeying God is worth it, that obeying Jesus with our whole life is worth it? Because if we're not, if we don't know that we know, if we're not anchored in a revelation of why, we will not live a, a sustained life of obedience. You just... Pick any topic in your life. If you are not anchored in why you're doing it, you won't do it very long. So we have to dig into why. And it's, it's a postcard. It's, it, it, it's a bumper sticker. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Paul gives us a window. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul, if you don't know, he used to kill Christians. He was anti-Jesus, anti-everything he stood for, was murdering believers, and then had a moment encounter through the Holy Spirit with God, changed his life. He became the biggest evangelist in Christian history. He wrote most of the New Testament. This Paul, this uh, uh, verse gives us a window into the revelation that he had. For Christ's love compels us. His life, the way he lived, uh, lived, the way he lived was because of the love of Christ. Now we talk about God loves us. God loves you. I mean, it's like this ethereal, like, yay, God loves you. And we like, Probably say it to people as we come into church. Well, that'd be weird. Like, hey, God loves you. Maybe we say it. I don't know. But it's just like, it's cliche. It's like, eh, what does that even mean? I'm here to, to contend that if we don't have a revelation for how much the love of Christ should compel us, if we don't have a revelation of how much we're loved, we're never going to obey. At least we're not going to obey for very long. So you, right now, us all in this moment, take away the Hallmark Channel, take away the, the, all the, the, the cliches, and do you know that you know that you know that you are loved? The love of Christ, the love that hung on that tree for you, the sacrifice that was made that you might live in freedom, do you have a revelation of how much you're loved? That's the first part of the why. If you don't have a revelation, ask for it. Seek it out. Contend for it. Demand it. Sit in your room tonight or tomorrow morning and say, I'm not leaving until I understand, until I have a revelation of how much you love me. That's part one of our why. Part two, 1 John 5.3. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands. Some might say that that phrase would say to obey Him. And His commands are not burdensome. Do we believe that the commands of God on our life are burdensome? And we can be honest with ourselves. 
I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of times where what the world has to offer looks darn appealing. And if we, are, if we believe the lie that obeying God means He's keeping us from having fun, He's keeping us from being cool, He's keeping us from doing X, Y, Z that everyone else gets to do, what's the big deal? If we are convinced that, that the, the commands of God are there to, uh, to, to entrap us into this religious life of, of morality, and it, we're not going to obey. If we believe that our Father in heaven just loves to put boundary lines on our lives for the heck of it, to see us squirm, to keep us from enjoying life, why would we obey Him? We have to have a revelation of the love of God and the character of God. Do we trust Him? A lot of us won't go ask God uh, for a, to a step of obedience because we're, we don't really trust that what He says we're going like, to want to hear. Because we don't know that we know that we know that His ways are higher than ours. That's what this series is all about. He has a better way to do life. He created you and I. He knows what we need and what we don't need. Amen. That's we the kingdom. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. A lot of you know I'm a dad. I have two of, not of the cutest, I'm so sorry to say, the cutest kids they, it's unreal. It's unreal. My little man, Shepard, is a darn good-looking kid, and he's 15 months. Um, so I have a three-and-a-half-year-old girl, Eleanor, and then a 15-month-old Shepard. Now, Shepard will start to make his way into more sermons as the time goes on. Right now, not much going on there, just climbing stuff and, and, and crying. That's, that's what we got with Shep. Um, but Eleanor is three-and-a-half. She's full-blown toddler. For the last year, Kate and I have been trying to teach her the concept of obedience. Think about that for a second. How do you teach a kid to obey? Okay. So we, we, we walked with her, and we're, we're getting her to understand that she has choices. And she can choose to obey, or she can choose to disobey, and every choice has consequences. And I'm not here to talk about parenting styles and how you, in, like, how you impose consequences or do discipline, but, but here's the story Actually, this happened yesterday. <laughs> I didn't know what, I was, what story I was going to share, and then it happened yesterday. Um, we're in the basement, the four of us having just the greatest time ever, and, um, you know, Shepard's crawling on something in the corner, Netflix Kids is on, uh, Eleanor's coloring, and, and then all of a sudden, I look over, and Eleanor's got this huge just thing of snot coming down her face. So I go, hey, Eleanor, go grab a tissue on the table and bring it to me, and I'll help you blow your nose. Because she doesn't know how to blow her nose. So that, that was my big command. Go let me blow your nose for you. So I said, Eleanor, go grab the tissue. You bring it here. I'm going to blow your nose. Fifteen minutes later, we are now, Daddy and Eleanor are up in her room with the door closed, and she is full-blown meltdown. Uh, and if you've never seen a three-and-a-half-year-old meltdown, it is a work of art. <laughs> And so I'm, I, as a parent, I don't discipline in anger or frustration. So I'm sitting in the room, in her room, and I'm telling her calmly as she goes about her freak out, if you throw that, you're going to get a discipline. That's a discipline. If you scream at daddy, you're going to get, that's a discipline. If you do, and just for like 10 minutes, just like that's going to be, yep, yep, don't do that. Don't you know, you know, nope, 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 nope. And I'm just sitting there like this is, okay. 
So eventually Kate comes and she's like, hey, let's, let's like, you're not, she's still screaming. Let's try a different strategy here. So she taps me out. I go sit on the couch. I'm like, parenting's hard. And so Kate goes in there and within like two minutes, like the screaming stops and I like can hear like they're having like a sweet little moment. I'm like, okay, cool. So, so, um, so the door opens, and I hear Eleanor's little feet coming, and she comes up to me on the couch. And this is how, regardless of what the incident was, this is how we do discipline in the waste and home. So she, um, Kate had sat with her and explained, you chose disobedience. Let me go through the 37 times in the last 10 minutes you disobeyed. And walks her through. Every time we disobey, there's a consequence. And whatever the consequence is, you lose toys, you lose food, whatever. We're not here to talk about that. So, so she understood Here's, like, the, the consequence was applied. <laughs> we'll put it that way. And then, so then she comes and she sits on my lap. And, and, uh, and I go, I look at Eleanor and I say, Eleanor, I forgive you and I love you. And we hug. And then she looks at me and I, and I go, Eleanor, I repent for being frustrated with you. Do you forgive daddy? Yeah, daddy, I forgive you. We hug, we pray. It's like, oh my gosh, so sweet. All you that don't have kids are like, this is what parenting is. I'm out. <laughs> like, that's a lot of work for a nose, like blowing a nose. But yeah, it's, it's, it's our number one job. So we have the sweet moment. We pray. And then, I, and then I look at Eleanor and say, Eleanor, do you understand what mommy and daddy are trying to teach you? And she like, obey. I'm like, yes, yes, praise God. But here's the deal. Mommy and daddy love you more than you'll ever know. And we know what's best. And we have a different perspective than you, and we want to protect you. So you need to learn when mommy and daddy tell you to do something, you need to obey quickly, completely, and cheerfully. And, she's, and she can say, I think I've told this before from the stage, she doesn't know how to say those three words. Those are a lot of syllables. So she's just, it's cheerfully. So when I ask Eleanor, how do, you, how do we obey, Eleanor? Cheerfully. Okay, well, she gets it, kind of. But I look at her, and what I'm doing in this moment, I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm making her look me in the eye, and I'm saying, I love you. I know what's best for you. I have a different perspective than you. You have to learn when daddy says to do something, you have to obey me. And what I've told her in the past, and I don't tell her every time, but what's going on in the back of my head is there's going to come a moment in four years, she's going to be playing with her friends in the yard, and the ball is going to go to the street, and I'm going to look out the window and see Eleanor running towards the street to get a ball. I'm going to swing open the door, and I'm going to yell, Eleanor, stop! And if she hasn't learned to obey me, I don't know what's going to happen. If she hasn't learned that when daddy says stop, you should stop. Not because daddy just loves to tell you to stop, because he knows what's best. And he's trying to keep, I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here having this moment with this three and a half year old. I'm like, I'm literally just trying to keep you alive. Would you let me blow your nose? I'm just trying to keep you alive because I love you. And you don't know life yet. You don't have the perspective. I think you guys get the point of the story. Eleanor and Shepard are going to grow up in a home, and in the name of Jesus, they are going to know why they obey. They're not going to obey because they're scared daddy's going to be mean, or daddy's going to scream, or mommy's going to yell. They're not going to grow up in a house afraid that they're going to get hurt or, or something if they disobey. They're going to grow up knowing, mommy and daddy love me, and I should obey them because they know better than I do. We have to get a revelation 
God is not there to punish us. Obeying Him is not a, a, a burden. His commands aren't burdensome. They're there for your good. They're there to keep you alive. They're there to keep you out of the pit. They're there to keep you out of addiction. They're there to keep you out of that, that relationship you don't need to be. They're there. They're there. They're there for your good. And if we don't know that deep down, we will have moments of obedience that won't be sustained. This is the part I was talking about. Conviction. Do we have a revelation of God's love? And do we know and do we trust that He's for us? The Psalms are full. Go read the Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. David learned to rejoice in the commands and the boundary lines of God and not be mad that He don't let me do this. God, being a, being a follower of Jesus, I can't go do that. He would rejoice and say, praise God that He knows best that whatever that is would kill me. And He's put boundary lines that I might live. Jesus said He came to bring life and life abundant. I'm, st- I'm skipping ahead, but it's good. It's good. How many of us would say we're living an abundant life right now? How many of us, if we're honest, if we look ourselves in the mirror in our relationship with Jesus, we're, we're like, yes, I, I'm, the, the, it is full of life. There's an abundance of life between me and Jesus. My, uh, my relationship with Jesus is thriving, and, and I would describe it as, as the adventure of a lifetime and the abundance of God. I don't know how many of us would. I think, if I'm honest, I think it's because there's places in our life that we could be being more obedient. That we could have more revelation of the love of God and the character of God. That we'd obey Him a little more. See, a lot of us get stuck in this, uh, this place of like, I don't feel God like I used to, or I don't feel God like that person does, or uh, the presence of God used to be really like, really like, I could feel it, now I don't. Well, here's the deal. Can I say what I'm about to say? Okay. <laughs> the church for too long has been obsessed with sitting down, sitting down, and getting on Facebook and debating theological truths and not being about the king and his kingdom. And so we point the finger at God and say, where are you? I don't feel you anymore because we've chosen to sit down and not be obedient to the next thing God's telling us to do. And we're missing out on the adventure of a lifetime. We're missing out on the abundant life. We're missing out on the life of living life with the Holy Spirit because we've chosen a life that just says, I'm, I'm, I'm okay just being a hearer of the word. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go be about the kingdom. I want to just talk about the kingdom. I, I, I don't want to be about the things of God. I just want to debate the things of God. I just want to, I just want to sit, and, this, and, and I just want to sit. And then we get angry at God and say, where are you? You used to be so real. The Holy Spirit came to be a witness, that we would be a witness of the gospel, that we would go and make disciples. If you're wondering why you're not feeling the Holy Spirit, are you doing what the Holy Spirit's doing? I'm trying, I, I am frustrated with myself in the sense of, God, would you convict me of the places where I've come complacent and let yesterday's obedience try and get me through today? It won't work. At some point, our hearts will grow cold. Lifestyles of disobedience lead to hearts that have grown cold. In 1 Samuel, we hear that we see the story of Saul. Now, we've talked about the story of Saul and David a lot in the last few weeks. I'm not going to go into David at all, but here's the deal. King Saul was anointed king over the people of Israel. 
and, uh, and through an act of disobedience, God said, go and do this, and, and Saul disobeyed. And this is, the word of the Lord came to the prophet and said, I regret that I've made Saul king. If you want to read the story, it's 1 Samuel 15. I regret that I've made Saul king. He disobeyed. And in this whole um, back and forth between King Saul and, and the prophet Samuel, basically between King Saul and God, you have God saying, you disobeyed. And, and Saul begins to make excuses. Well, other people disobeyed. I only disobeyed a little. And blah, 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 blah. And then something really uh, illuminating of Saul's heart comes to pass when he says what he says in 1 Samuel 15, 15. That should be that last uh, slide of, of the Samuels. Oh, we'll just, that's fine right there. Oh, uh-oh. There we go. So 15. Saul is, is basically trying to explain away his disobedience. He's lied and he's blamed others. And here he's saying, the soldiers brought them up from the Amalekites. They, they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God but we totally destroyed the rest. Saul, who was anointed king by God within 15 verses of this story, is referring to the Lord as your God, not mine. His disobedience has, had hardened his heart so much that he didn't even view himself as in relationship with the God who had anointed him king. no. I did everything you told me, which was a lie, for your God. Our, a lifestyle of disobedience, and this is passive or, 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 uh, or actively or passively disobedient. So, so this story of Saul, there's active like rebellion. There's active like, I know what God says, and I'm choosing to do the other thing. I know what God's told me to do, and I'm choosing the other way. That's rebellion. That's active disobedience. There's passive disobedience. There's the disobedience that comes from just being idle, from not knowing what to do next, from not being taught how to, how to obey, from not being taught how to ask God what's next. There's an idleness and just a, a, a familiarity with life and the business of life that can lead to passive disobedience. Whatever the case may be, active or passive disobedience, the fruit of it is a, whole, is a hardened heart. And disobedience never leads to righteousness. When we disobey, when, we, when we, the, the, word, the voice of God or the Word of God is clear and we choose to go our own way, now God can redeem us. He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. But there is, uh, that doesn't beget righteousness. Disobeying and disobeying and disobeying doesn't eventually get you to where God had you going. I'm just bouncing around. My, I don't, my notes are kind of pointless at this point. Are we convinced of the goodness of God, the authority of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God? Are we convinced of the goodness of God in our life? Do we have a revelation of His love for us? Do we have a revelation of His character? Do we trust that His ways really are higher than our ways? Because if we don't, we won't live lives of obedience. Here's the deal. Obedience in the kingdom has become a novelty. And I don't think it was ever supposed to be a novelty. I don't think we were ever supposed to be impressed or shocked by someone living an obedient life. That's the life we're called to live. A life of action. A life of putting action to our convictions. Reading the Bible, believing it, and doing it. 
And it's become a novelty. Like, you know it. When you're around someone, you're like, oh, my gosh, they actually believe this. And they believe it enough that their life looks different. The way they do marriage, the way they do school, the way they honor people, the way they talk about God, the way they talk about Jesus, the way they do their finances, their life looks radically different. They actually believe it enough to do it. And it's a novelty, and I don't think it ever was supposed to be that. If we're bored in our walk with Jesus, I think there's a place that we can be obedient. I don't think, we're, I don't think the Christian walk was designed to be boring. It was designed to be a life-giving, day-by-day, and I'm going to just say it, adventure. But we've settled for, or I've settled for a, lot time, a long time in my life, just playing church, hearing the stories, hearing but not doing, hearing but not obeying, get, getting fat on the, on the scripture, on the stories. I could recite to you uh, passages. I could tell you stories. I could have great revelation. But if you followed my life for a week, would you know that I love Jesus? Was my life obedient to the life that the, 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 the um, scriptures call us to lead, that Jesus called us to lead? I just, I think for me, as I look at 2019, I think about my life and my family. I think about our church. I believe in the church so much. The church changed my life. The local church being the local church, loving God, speaking truth, uh, seeking discipleship, being about the nations, being a church that read the word, believed it, and did it, changed my life. And I look at this city, and I look at this church, and I just, sometimes I just start, oh God, there's so much. The potential for us as a people to impact this city, the, peop- the, the, the potential for this group of people called Antioch Salt Lake City to catch the vision of the kingdom, to catch the vision of not playing church, to catch the vision of living lives of obedience, to impact their schools and their homes and their workplaces and their families, to impact, the salt, to impact salt Lake City and to impact the nations of the world. I get fired up about the church. It's the hope of the world if we're willing to not play around with it. If we're willing to actually do it. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar. I think I mentioned Francis Chan earlier. In the, yeah. Um, Francis Chan, and, and I think of his life, I think of um, back in, in the 90s when Antioch started, a group of people that had just basically grown tired of doing church. And um, Jimmy Seibert would eventually become the lead pastor of the first Antioch uh, back in Texas in the 90s, that would become a movement. And I have so many messages uh, and stories that I've heard him tell go back to this. He was a college student going to a Baptist church in Waco, Texas. He gave his life to Jesus, and he started reading Scripture, and he started looking around and saying, no one's doing this. He would read the Gospels, and he'd look around, and Jesus would command the, the rich young ruler, get rid of everything. Get rid of everything you were obsessed with before. Be all about me. Come follow me. And he'd look around and no one was doing it. And his life, he got the birthplace, the DNA of Antioch was from a small group of people that said, what if we read the Bible, believed it, and obeyed it? And so they really, the, the first challenge for the, before Antioch was even a church, this was just a group of people trying their best to figure out how to follow Jesus. They read Scripture, and they would just do it, whatever Scripture said. Give your money away. Give your, give your life away. Give your cars away. Give your, I mean, Jimmy tells a story that he's a junior or senior or something in college, and he gave everything he owned away except for like a couple pairs of shirts and a couple pairs of pants so he could go to class. He, everything else he just gave away. 
And people were like, you're crazy, you're a cult, you're weird. And he's like, no, it's just the Bible, and no one's doing it. And, I'm gonna, I, and I remember, I'll never remember, I was in a room with Jimmy, and, and he just got fired up, and he was like, I signed up to follow Jesus, and I, I, I was a 20-year-old kid, and I didn't want to live the rest of my life just reading the Bible and then going to bed. Like, wow, that's a crazy cool story, or that's really convicting, or wow, what if we did that? All right. See you next week at church. And, and he just wasn't about it. And so our, our DNA as a church and as a people, and it's not an Antioch thing. I think it's, it's a believer thing. It's a kingdom thing. That we would be people, radical breakthrough it comes on the other side of radical obedience. What are you believing for and wrestling for and contending for that you're not being obedient to the next thing God's put in front of you? We were believing for a massive revival in Salt Lake City. We don't, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest, I don't have a right to ask God for a massive revival in this city if I'm not being obedient to the next thing he's telling me to do. It just doesn't make sense. The, the story of the Bible is built on obedience from Abraham to Noah to Moses to Jesus himself, obedient unto the cross. Activity, doing this is Antioch, doing engage, engage the Nations or Nations Night, those are good things. But if they're just there to busy you, they're not going to move your life in God forward. They're not. Obedience is the only thing that's going to move our life forward. I want to tell um, a quick a disobedience story for you as we, as we wrap up. Um, well, I'll tell an obedience story and a disobedience story. Okay, so real simple, silly. I was in college. I was dating this amazing woman named Kate uh, Shelton. And um, I was like, I just want to be the best boyfriend. I want to pursue her. I think this girl could be the one. And so I woke up one morning, and I was like, I, I spent time with God. I, I did the whole, like, God, my day is yours. And then as I was getting ready to leave, I said, God, what, is there anything specific that you would have me do to pursue Kate today? And I'll never forget. I just, in my mind, like, popped in a Starbucks drink that I can't even pronounce now. I don't remember what it was. I'm not a big coffee drinker. Um, and a picture of like a flower, a sp very specific flower. And so I went and I got this coffee drink. I th it's some sort of macchiato, I think. So I can't say it. <laughs> My bad. Um, so, and then I went to like the, the, the nearest place I could find. I saw it, uh, a flower. I found the flower that looked kind of most like the one I saw in my head. I bought it. I wrote her a little note like, hey, thinking of you. Hope you have a great day. We were just dating a couple months, so I wasn't like, I love you. Be with me forever. I was just like, um, I like you. I'm pursuing you. Have a great day. Um, and uh, that's a great way to do a relationship. I like you, and I'm pursuing you. <laughs> um, and I got a text like an hour later, and, and Kate was just like, you'll never, ever believe. I woke up this morning, and I literally asked God, for a caramel macchiato and a rose. And she was like, her mind was blown, and I was like, I'm the best boyfriend in the world. <laughs> like, I, I got this locked up. But there's a simple, like, we like obedient to go to Africa for the rest of our life. What's God calling you to do tomorrow? What, what person in your life do you need to, before you walk out the door tomorrow, God, is there anyone I can encourage? Is there anyone I can pray for? Who needs a word from you? What, that's what the life, the adventurous life looks like. God, I'm in this grocery store. Does anyone need anything from you? Anybody need a word? 
Oh, it's risky. It's going to cost you your fear of man. It's going to cost you your ability to be the cool guy. But it's the kingdom, and it's obedience, and it's the adventure. I was walking. I think I've told it. I have a such. Y'all, pray for my memory. It is bad. I can't remember if I've told this story yet. Um, I'm on campus, Baylor University. feel like God highlights my sister who was not following God, living in the most worldly brokenness you can ever imagine. I, some people are nodding, so I think I've told this story. So I'll wrap it up quick. And... Um, and I'm walking down campus, and boom, God just says, stop right now, pray for us. So I just stopped right now. I was, I was actually, never mind. Okay, so I'm, I'm on uh, Fifth Street, Baylor campus. God, I pray for my sister. Bless her, love her. We're not really friends. This is awkward. And this, that in my head, call her, tell her to quit her job, move to Waco, go to church with you. I did it. I thought I was following the devil because it was like the most opposite of anything I would have ever done. And she did it. She moved. She quit her job. She moved to Waco. She did the discipleship school. She gave her life to Jesus. She went. But she's a missionary in Africa. She married a godly man. She's raising a godly family. It's not my victory. It's the kingdom. And it's just obedience. It's just obedience. A couple, oh yeah. Okay. At the turn of the year, and listen, I'm wrapping up this story or this this message. Um, Kate and I are praying for 2019. God, the waste and family, what do we need to be obedient to this year? What are things that we need to start doing, stop doing, keep doing, whatever? whatever. And um, Kate feels very strongly that, that she felt like the Lord was impressing on her that we need to take down our TV in our family room because the, we were just worshiping the TV too much. We were watching TV. It was, just, it was just on too much. And so she comes to me. This is like three or four days before the Super Bowl. And she goes, hey, I got this word. And oh, that's not a fun word to get if you're the husband. Like, oh, okay, okay. I trust you. You hear God. But, man, that's, that hurts. Um, and she goes, hey, I didn't have a, I don't, I don't feel like, like God gave me a date. Like, take it down on this day. I just felt like he said take it down. So, and we kind of looked at each other. We're like, so, like, right after the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> I think that's logical. I think that makes sense. All right. About two days later, we're uh, making dinner. The Netflix kids is on. It's 5 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden, my two-year-old, big screen, I don't even know if it was Samsung or something, just, you, you heard this little, boop, and the screen went black. And it died. God was like, no, no, I meant now. <laughs> <laughs> and Kate and I looked at each other literally. We're like, did God just break our TV? <laughs> like, I don't know theologically where that fits in to your the but I think he just broke our TV. And it goes along with the, the value that delayed obedience is disobedience. If I ask my daughter to do something and she doesn't do it, and she just tells me I'll do it later, that's not being obedient. That's just being disobedient. So that's a fun one to end on. All right. I love you guys. I hope there's been conviction. I hope we love Jesus more. I hope we've caught the vision of obedience moving our life in God forward, obedience, obedience unlocking the adventure and the life that we're called to live as believers. I want to wrap up like I do every time. If you're in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, there's this really cool scripture that I love to talk about. It says, today's the day of salvation. You know, we think we got to make ourselves, get ourselves clean and pretty before we go meet Jesus. He says, no, 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 today, whatever you are today, today's the day of salvation. Ooh, doesn't matter where you were yesterday, doesn't matter where you were this morning, right now, this moment, today, like gift of salvation is available to you. 
And um, my wife, who did the offering, that was Kate. By the way, she felt really bad. She forgot to say her name. So that was my wife who did the offering. Her name's Kate Wason, um, and she's amazing. And she said that God's not after our money. He's after our heart. The gospel, the life of Jesus is the life of a God after our heart. And I think the church has got this wrong for a long time. They're trying to do behavior modification to get you good enough for Jesus, trying to just change a bunch of things we do. No, no, we, we, we change our life because of the goodness of God, not to get to Him. And so tonight I'm going to pray. The Bible says to accept the gift of salvation, to accept Jesus, means to believe in your heart that He is who He says He is. And believe it so much that you're willing to confess it with your mouth. It's about your heart. I'm going to pray. You can, you can join me. You can pray what I'm praying. You can say your own prayer, whatever it means. If, if your heart's in it, your heart's in it. So why don't you guys bow your head with me as I pray. Jesus, I love you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I don't fully understand everything, but I, I give my life to you. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I'm tired of trying to be the Lord of my own life. It's not working. So Jesus, whatever it means, whatever it looks like, I give you my life. I believe you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Amen.